Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome into the Nick Bob podcast. It is Wednesday, November 20th, about uh, noon recording this and we got a heck of a podcast uh, on deck for you today before we get into what we got coming up want to make sure you remember to subscribe to the podcast just click that little subscribe button that way you never miss any of the episodes of the nick bob podcast tons of good stuff of course recap pods with bo robert rude uh, we got tons of uh, great hoops and uh, hoops coverage with basketball season in full swing and of course we're going to continue to crush it with nebraska football as well. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you go give us a, a, a rating, preferably a five-star rating, please. And uh, also give us a review as well. Okay, on this pod, going to get to a, a great conversation with Kevin Kugler. Haven't uh, checked in with Coogs in, in a while. This guy is obviously one of the, the busiest guys in the world. I mean, he went from calling, think about just, let's just go through like his last couple of days. So he called Penn State at Georgetown on Thursday. He called Nebraska at Wisconsin, or Wisconsin at Nebraska on Saturday. Then he had an NFL game in Mexico City he had to go call. And uh, when we catch up with Kev, uh, he is en route to Champaign, Illinois to call an Illinois basketball game. This guy is just, he's the hardest working man in showbiz, uh, so I always want to be respectful of his time, but I figured, you know what, I want to catch up with Cougs, talk a little Husker football with him, and also talk a little Nebraska basketball as well. On the pod today, I am going to get into some uh, Nebraska basketball talk, got some Creighton hoops I want to get into, but I want to start with, uh, with two Nebraska football things. The, 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 first, the first one is something that I'm just, I'm really tired of, I, I, I really am. I said this on one of the recap pods, but right now in Husker Nation, fans, message boards, the media, everybody, we like to do a lot of pitting with Nebraska football and do the whole blame game thing. We pit the young players versus the old players. We pit the Riley recruits versus the Frost recruits. We pit the coaches versus the players. And of course, every week, we pit the offense versus the defense in a who's to blame conversation. The, and the the offense versus the defense blame game is is unbelievable every single week and 99% of the time people are just ready to blame the defense and i got to tell you i'm exhausted by it i'm just exhausted I, because a couple of things the number one at some point it's like listen i don't care whose fault it is it's everyone's fault, you know? It's like at the end of the day, it's not like there is a record for the whole team and the record for the defense and a record for the... It's, it's everybody's fault. But I'm just... I'm, I'm exhausted by the whole nature of the situation of wanting to play the blame game. And then I'm also, in particular, exhausted how at every turn, people will look past the shortcomings with the offense and just blame, blame, blame the defense. And I'm not sitting here saying that the defense is great. Of course it's not. 
But you look at even you you look at last week's game against Wisconsin. The idea that the offense was any anywhere near good enough to win that game, I just don't quite get. Yeah, I get it. The, you know they they had a lot of yards. They scored twenty one points. They scored seven points in the second half. And I know, hey man, look at the yards. Look at how many. Why does that matter if you don't put points on the board? Why does that matter? Look at the Purdue game. Nebraska's defense got two interceptions. One was returned down to the two-yard line. The other one was returned to Purdue's side of the football field. The special teams blocked two punts, and yet people want to blame the defense for that loss. It's it's just, it's kind of crazy. But with all that said, you, you, you know what? You know who else wasn't good enough in the last game and in big spots in the Purdue game? The defense. And special teams, for that matter, against Wisconsin. But yet, it is just, it is always the defense's fault. Always. No matter what, no matter what happens, it's always the defense's fault. And I guess I'm just, I'm exhausted and amazed at the lack of objectivity with people when it comes to assessing the offense and then delving out blame. The, re- the reality is, neither side of the ball has been very good. And it's why they're 4-6, and six, for crying out loud. But I, I will say this, just, just answer these two questions for me. Just answer these two questions for me. What side of the ball is the identity of this program with the new staff? And which side of the football has been furthest off your expectation level heading into this season? Okay, then. Let me shift to Martinez for a second. I thought his 10-minute Monday press conference was really interesting. And listen, I I know I say this all the time, but damn, that guy is impressive when he talks. He is. When When it comes to answering questions from the media, he pretty much is like the ideal quarterback in my mind. He says all the right things. He's real. He's genuine. If you listen to him, he always puts the blame on himself first, no matter what. He'll always fall on the sword. He'll always put it on him. And with Adrian Martinez, he's had such an interesting 23, 24 months of being in this Nebraska football world. So you think about it. He committed and signed with Scott Frost in December of 2017. And if you think about it, so Scott Frost was the savior for Nebraska football. And in a lot of ways, some of that savior mantra kind of rubbed onto how people viewed Adrian Martinez. Frost is the hand-picked dream coach. And here is his hand-picked what seemed like dream quarterback. So there's a lot in that equation for things to really bubble up and and explode. And naturally, the fans and everybody went a little wild. I went a little wild too. I mean, I'm not, it's not a thing where I tried to tell, listen, I was chugging the Kool-Aid just like everyone else was. And, you know, the reality is when you become, talking about Martinez, when you become the focal point for optimism, which Martinez was, you're likely going to be the focal point for negativity and pessimism too if things don't go well. And boy, Martinez in just 24 months has been, you know, he's been in the penthouse. He's been in the outhouse, man. Like 
in in the in the world of perception and how he's talked about and viewed. Martinez has been propped up and he's been torn down. From Heisman contender to a guy that people want to see sat down. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how he's handled that. Martinez said, quote, when I first got here, I love social media. I don't have Twitter on my phone anymore. Man, that's, that is quite a quote from Martinez. I, I, I will say this. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to, to be Adrian Martinez. I really couldn't. And listen, this isn't meant to be a take of like a sob story for him or all that or any of that stuff. Like, Because at the end of the day, he is the starting quarterback for Nebraska, which is something there are a lot of people would die to be. So, the, so there's always that element of it. But can I just say, I, I just admire the way he, he handles himself. And I really admire that he recognizes that he needs to make sure that he's investing his emotions and energy into the right people. Not the Twitter world, but Scott Frost and his teammates. And that is, that is hard in, in this world we live in. I mean, in terms of figuring out who you want to invest your, you know, your, your emotions and energy into. It, it's something that, for me, I know as a 35-year-old father and husband and adult, I always have to remind myself of, you know? The, there, there is a lot of upside to being on social media as an athlete. There is. It can be a good thing. But there's an ugly side to it. And I got to be honest. I look at how things are with Twitter and I think back to when I was in college at Kansas and Creighton, and I don't think I could I could have handled being on social media when I was playing. Like if I were playing right now, I couldn't. I don't know if I could be on Twitter. Because I'm telling you, the fir- the first time you read something that is is crushing you as a player online, it sticks with you. I I remember. Vividly, I remember a Nebraska message board. I can't even remember what message board this would have been, but a Nebraska message board thread on on me in high school. And I mean, hell, I could take you to the exact spot in my house in Lincoln, growing up, where I was sitting and where I read it. I was like, oh my! It was this long thread when I was I was like seventeen years old, probably, and people were just ripping me. And I, I, I was shook. I was like, oh, I was almost speechless. And, you know, it, dealing with that world is hard. Then I've told this story before, but there, there was the game my, my freshman year when I was playing for Kansas and we were at Nebraska playing at the Devaney Sports Center and I was booed viciously every time I touched the ball. All of the Vanny Sports Center chanted traitor. And I can remember sobbing in the locker room after the game. Just full-fledged sobbing. And I listen, there might be like, hey, Nick, man up, TMI, too much information. I'm just like, I, I can remember I, I was sobbing. I and then I mean, hell, I even remember when I, then when I transferred. Because so many people think like, oh, Nick turned down Nebraska twice. Well, listen, Nebraska didn't recruit me that hard out of out of high school. And 
when I was transferring out of Kansas, if I would have transferred in conference, which Nebraska was in the Big 12 at the time, same as Kansas, obviously, and I would have lost a year. I couldn't. I would have just lost a year of eligibility. So it was like a really, Nebraska wasn't even an option. But I remember when I transferred, there was this Facebook group that it was Nick Boss sucks and should transfer to Wesleyan. And it was just uh, people killing me. And then there was, of course, the Creighton message boards, people ripping me at times and all that stuff. And and listen, I'm not trying to have turn this into a sad violin story for myself. But what I am saying is it was really hard. All like that criticism and 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 the public being on you and all that stuff. It was really hard to deal with at times. And the reason I bring that up is I'm not even close to the level of high-profile athlete that Adrian Martinez is. Not even close. And I'm not even close to under as much pressure as Adrian Martinez is. And the digital social media world that I dealt with isn't even close to what Martinez has to deal with. So, Nick, what's your point? My point is, I just want to salute and acknowledge the class at which Martinez carries himself and the tough situation he faces. Sometimes we need a little more grace under fire and class in this world. And I just think Adrian Martinez has conducted himself with the media in an, in an admirable way. The dude has so much that I like about him. And he shows flashes of really being an elite player. And he's just a guy that is easy to root for. Now, I don't know what's going to ultimately happen to him in these last two games and what would happen, you know, what happens heading into next season and beyond. I, I don't know. Because there's, there's a lot of different factors. But, man, it would be pretty cool to see Frost and Martinez have a moment on the mountaintop together, wouldn't it be? Like, Because the pressure and scrutiny those guys are under, pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. So I just, I think the way Martinez carries himself, the way he's handled a lot of this, admirable. Just want to salute it. Because I think about my own experiences, and man, I was, I was shook by a lot of this stuff. And I'm not even in the same vicinity of what that guy has to deal with. Okay, let me shift to uh, Nebraska basketball. So for those that didn't watch or hear, I was on the call on uh, BTN uh, last Friday night for Fred Hoiberg's first win as Nebraska basketball's uh, Nebraska basketball head coach. Took down, murdered South Dakota State. Pretty cool to be on the call. Uh, and then also pretty cool to be able to interview Fred Hoiberg on the floor after the game. And man, it was, I mean, Nebraska finally got it going. Like, especially in the first half, they, they were, they were really running the floor hard. They got the pace going. Um, they, they were, they were competing defensively, got some shots to go in and smack South Dakota state and South Dakota state isn't great, but still Nebraska needed a win bad couple of things. So, but you know, that, that day, obviously I get to go to shoot around and I watch, you know, I'm able to talk to Fred Hoiberg and, and, and Doc Sadler and those watching Fred Hoiberg coach and navigate the shoot around and interact with the, you know, with the, with his team and then getting to chat with him. I I just had a couple of takeaways. He has a calmness to him that I really like. And I think that calmness will serve this group. Well, 
listen, there there could be some rocky stretches with this team. Hell, they, I mean, they started 0-2. But he is a smooth, calm coach, which I think more so than anything is what this team needs. They don't, they don't need a coach yelling and screaming and all this stuff. They need someone to alleviate the anxiety and help provide and instill confidence, which was the other thing in my chat with him that, that stood out. Like, I, I asked him, you know, what was the biggest thing that, that he's seen in this 0-2 start, and, and he said, listen, man, basketball is a tough, a, a tough sport to play when you're not confident, and we haven't made shots, so our guys aren't confident. Boom. Simple. And I agree. I think he's a guy that understands the importance of confidence in this game and will do everything to cultivate that, which is huge for a player. I can tell you, what you dream of as a player is to play for a coach who instills confidence in you and allows you to go attack. And that's Fred Hoiberg. And you can tell he's still feeling out this team. And listen, this team has its limitations. They aren't a very big team. We know that. They're young and inexperienced and still trying to build up that foundation. And that's the other thing. When, when you don't make shots in basketball, when you don't shoot it well, which Nebraska shot it horrible in the first two games, when you don't make shots, that's when you have to lean on your foundation and your culture and your identity and your chemistry to sustain you. And all those things just aren't quite there yet. And I think, as much as anything else, that led to the first two losses. This team has to shoot it well while they're still building all those things up. I think this team is going to have a hard time winning when they don't play well. And I know that you may go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Captain Obvious. I know that sounds weird, but that, that's a big part of sports and basketball. I mean, you aren't going to play great every time you play. You know what I mean? I mean, you're just not. That's not how sports works. That's not how basketball works. So what happens when you don't play well? You know, can you win when you aren't making shots and you aren't just totally rolling? Bruce Rasmussen, Creighton AD, who's just got a great basketball mind, always has a, has a, has a line that I like. He says, you know, in a, in a basketball season, you, you have 10 games where you play great. You know, you hook it up, everybody, energy's great, you're making shots. You have 10 games where you play great. And then you probably have 10 games where you play just okay to average. You, you, you know, your intensity's okay, you shot it okay, you, you're playing average. And then you usually have about 10 games where you just don't really have it, right? You're just, you know, things aren't clicking, you're out of sync, you're disjointed, you're not shooting it well. Maybe you get into foul trouble or something, whatever. It's what happens in the 10 games where you play average and the 10 games where you don't play well that really kind of decide your season. That is so true. It's so true. And when I look at Nebraska, I do get concerned about that with this team. In large part because they're just so young and inexperienced and building up that foundation to be able to sustain them on shaky shooting nights when they aren't playing great. But listen, this season was always going to be an interesting one in which nobody really knew what to expect. And 
I thought they showed flashes the other night against South Dakota State of what it can look like when they hook it up and they're making shots and everything's kind of clicking. That their defensive energy was great, which got them stops and got them numerous chances to run and establish pace, and it helped them get into a flow. And they looked like a different team, right? I mean, you watch that UC Riverside game and Southern Utah game and then watch Nebraska play South Dakota State in the first half, and you're like, whoa, whoa, this is a different team. So, I, you know, I was impressed with Fred Hoiberg's. First time I've ever met him. First time I've ever been able to pick his brain. He's got a, he's got a great way about him. And I've said this a bunch. He's going to get it done here. It may not be this year, but he's going to get it done here in Lincoln. And, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Real quick, since we are kind of still getting to know this team, I want to go through a, the, the roster and give a snapshot thought on a few guys so far through three games. Just a handful of guys, real quick. Um, Cam Mack, he's the MVP. They, they don't, first of all, one thing that stood out, they don't really have a backup point guard. So, I mean, he's important on a variety of levels. He's the, he's the guy that is the playmaker. He's, got the, he, he's the guy that pushes pace. He's got elite explosiveness, and at times, really close to elite vision. His issues are three things. He doesn't shoot it great. He's a little erratic, and right now his off-ball defense is not very good. He stands and watches the ball. Got to get better in that department, but man, he can be electric at times. Hanif Cheatham, in my conversation with Hoiberg, I asked him if he has a guy that can kind of be the extension of him in the locker room, and he said, Cheatham. And Hanif Cheatham's got to be better, and he was the other night. He's the most experienced guy he, it, that's got to translate to consistency. And, you know, Cheatham's one's got, he's not an elite scorer, but he has to be a rock solid Mr. Jack of all, bring it every day kind of a guy. Gervais Green, um, yeah, a little bit of a slow start, but I think if he stays so- solid, he, he's got great defensive potential. He hadn't shot it great or scored it great yet, but he's just got to focus on running the floor hard, taking the right shots, and things will kind of work out for him. Deshaun Burke, same thing. I think shot selection and decision-making for him is is huge in terms of when to attack, when to drive, when to shoot it, when not to. How to balance all those things within being aggressive can be, can be challenging. He's just got to be more solid in every way, shape, and form. Uh, Ivan uh, Udrago, big Ivan's got to finish better. You know, I mean, when you run a lot of pick and rolls and, you know, your roll man's got to be a threat to convert. He, he's missed a lot of bunnies. He, he's got to be better. Now, he, what's nuts is he's only 17 years old. He doesn't turn 18 until March. I mean, that's crazy. And he's really never lifted weights before, which is even more crazy. So, you know, he's scratching the first, but listen, he's got, he's got to be better. He's got to finish better in particular. Kevin Cross, uh, enormously important because he's just, right now he's so much better offensively than Big Ivan. He's just, again, pick and roll, playmaking fives, all those things. Got to continue to work on defending and hanging in there in the paint. But man, he fits the part uh, in a lot of ways in terms of what Hoiberg likes with those playmaking fives. And then Thorir Thorbanyarsson, I mean, just got to continue to be Thor. Be rock solid, which is what they need. Uh you know, some of those other freshmen, they just got to continue to, to you know, chip away at it. So there you go. Schedule's about to get more real uh, soon. Got the Cayman Islands trip. Then you got to go to Georgia Tech, to Creighton. So, you know, it's a huge stretch for them to continue to build the foundation and chemistry uh, and confidence. 
Uh, so it's a big stretch for them. Uh, let me shift in before we get to Kugler. I want to talk a little Creighton hoops too. So Creighton season is off and running. Uh, the Jays are two and one on the year. Lone loss was at Michigan, uh, a game that I actually thought Creighton played pretty well. M- Michigan just played better for longer stretches, if that makes sense. And sometimes in basketball, you just you just get beat. There doesn't have to be some massive state of the union on the team after every loss. I walked away from that Michigan game thinking, yep, Creighton played pretty good. They looked pretty good. They just lost. But with Creighton, I told you in the preview podcast for, for the Blue Jays season, there are three keys to the season. Number one, health. Got to get healthy and stay healthy. Number two, performing better in close games. Creighton was not good in close games last year. Got to get over that. And then number number three, the third one is arguably the biggest thing, not only for this team, but for the program moving forward, and that is toughness. Creighton has to find some toughness in a variety of ways. Those are the three big keys. If Creighton stays healthy, is better in close games and finds some toughness, I think Creighton's an NCAA tournament team. The health thing is, is, is still a work in progress. You know, Damian Jefferson is back, but he isn't fully back. He doesn't have his explosiveness. Davion Mintz isn't back yet. But the toughness thing is huge. It is huge. And the other day, Saturday evening against a, a good Louisiana Tech team. And listen, y'all can laugh and giggle. That team's good. They're going to win a lot of games. They got a chance to win Conference USA. That's a team full of juniors and seniors. They're good. The other day against Louisiana Tech, Creighton won a close game, check, and they won it with toughness, check. The game, in a lot of ways, came down to two hustle toughness plays. The first one was at that 8.30 mark of the second half. Louisiana Tech was on a run and had cut the lead to three. And Creighton was reeling a little bit on the ropes. It's a transition defense situation. Ball gets poked free. And Marcus Zagorowski makes the play of the day. It was the play of the game to me. He dives not just once, but basically twice to corral a basketball way out of his area that he had no business getting. He wrestled it away, tossed it to Kelvin Jones, who gave it to back to who gave it to Mitch Ballack, who then lobbed it to Jones for a huge alley oop dunk. Got the crowd into it. Now all of a sudden, all the momentum was taken away from Louisiana Tech, and it's on Creighton's side. Boom, toughness. Marcus Zegarowski's dive was a man's play, a winning play. Mitch Ballack after the game was quoted as saying, "Quote: Once Marcus hit the floor, it was a wrap." The crowd was involved after that. I looked up, and we were fired up. That definitely set the tone for the rest of the way. That's it. That's toughness. And then to seal it, there's another tough play. 75-68, minute 30 left in the game. Kelvin Jones, the Idaho State senior grad transfer, who hurt his ankle on the lob, by the way, had to go back to the locker room, came back into the game. And there was a rebound all the way out by the three-point line. And Kelvin Jones, at six foot eleven, comes from underneath the hoop to the three-point line, lays out full Superman style for the loose ball, and gets it. Creighton calls timeout. Ball game. 
Creighton beat a mature, tough group with grit and toughness. A lot of ways to impact winning. You can, you know, assists, making shots, making threes, two dives on loose balls. Amazing. And with with toughness on the brain for a key to this season and beyond, you know, it's like it's all got to change somewhere, you know? Like, the only way to change it and instill it is to do it. You know what I mean? Like, and that was it. That was what Creighton has kind of been missing. Those are the kinds of plays that set the tone for the season, potentially. We'll see what happens moving forward, but that was great to see. Not just because it was two cool plays, but it's what could be the difference between the Jays punching through or not moving forward. So, you know, shout out to Marcus Zagorowski and shout out to Kelvin Jones. Now, again, Creighton got to get healthy, need Mintz back, got to get Damian Jefferson back, but I will say this. Creighton's three guards are a freaking nightmare to deal with. Tyson Alexander, Mitch Ballack, and Marcus Zagorowski, those are some bad boys right there. Those three can win you a lot of games. Oh, and by the way, speaking of winning close games, talking about the keys this season, you know, winning close games is oftentimes about studs making plays. But listen, sometimes coaching decisions make a difference too. I thought Greg McDermott's move to throw a 1-3-1 at Louisiana Tech in the final few possessions was genius. Hadn't shown it all game. It threw Louisiana Tech off. Creighton got three stops and won the game. So, while we're giving shouts out, shout out to people, shout out to Greg McDermott as well. All right, let's get to uh, the the guest of the day. Kevin Kugler, play-by-play voice of the entire universe, Big Ten Network, Westwood One. Um, obviously, he's calling NFL, he's calling college football, and obviously calling college basketball as well. He was on the call for Nebraska and Wisconsin. Figured, you know what, haven't checked in with Cougs in a while. Lots I want to pick his brain on. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation, my chat with a good buddy of mine, very talented dude, Kevin Cooper. All right, on the line now is uh, is a man that I can only imagine the first thing he's going to say to me is... Thank you for the hours of entertainment you've provided me with your podcast while I travel around the world doing broadcasting events. He's Kevin Kugler. And Kevin, can I just say you're welcome prior to even saying thank you? Uh, yes, my podcast yeah, has probably helped you out a lot. It's been it's been great. You know, I'll go places and people will say things like, hey, did you check out the latest edition of the Nick Bob podcast? And I'll pull up my phone and I'll say, did I check it out? Then I check it out, and I'll say, no, I had no idea Nick was actually doing a podcast. That's really cool. And so I've learned that you're doing a podcast. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, uh, it's word travels fast, you know. Word, tra- <laughs> word, word travels fast for you. It's uh, it's it's pretty good. My, my goal is, uh, at the end of this conversation, for you to say, God, you know what? That Nick Baugh, he respects my time. I want I know you're busy, so I don't want to make this too long. <laughs> so- I, have, I have nothing but time for you. I, have, I am whatever you need. I am here for you. I, I'm always excited to talk with you. I'm, I'm kind of hurt, hurt that it's taken this long to come back on. Clearly, my first appearance on the podcast <laughs> was the lowest downloaded podcast in the history of podcasting. So I'm just impressed that you actually, I mean, you either ran out of guests at this point, and you're like, oh, I suppose I could call Kugler, or you're like, I feel pity on this guy. 
I'm going to give him one more chance. Either way, I appreciate it. When Shane Schillerberg can't come on the pod, you're my next call. Okay, just so you know, I when see, Schiller- I mean, if it's not Shane talking about his days as Evo at Northwest yeah. Missouri State, it's me. Yeah, and I appreciate the pecking order there. Okay, so what? Okay, you are uh, you're driving uh, in Chicago right now. Where are you headed? What's uh, where where in the uh, world is Kevin? There's there's basketball to be had in the midweek before football on the weekend. You know, this is the, the crossover season, as you're, as you're aware. You may not have known this while you were doing a podcast, but <laughs> college basketball season started. Oh. And so, you know, you go broadcast the games. And right. so I've got Illinois uh, coming up. And so I'm going to be broadcasting the Illinois basketball game. My first chance to see this uh, Illini team with Kofi Coburn and the rest of this very still young, but extremely talented squad. And I'm anxious to see what they look like tonight. Okay, so I was gonna like finish our chat with talking basketball, but since you went there, I, I gotta I gotta I mean, go there. there. <laughs> I'll go there right away. Um, so I want to talk Nebraska with with Fred Hoiberg. You were on the call for the UC Riverside game that obviously ended up in yep. in a loss. I had them the other night uh, in a win versus South Dakota State. So it's it's funny. Like, did I expect them to start 0-2? No. But am I stunned by it? I'm really not. Like, it's a brand-new team, first-year staff. This team has little to no high-major D1 experience. That's not to say it's going to just be an awful year, but I I, I don't know. I'm not that stunned by the 0-2 start. How has the start of the season kind of landed to you, and and what what did you kind of take away from your first peek at this team when you were doing shoot-around and calling the game and all that? Here's what I think, and I think the good news is most Nebraska fans understand. I think that this is going to be a this is a work in progress. Yeah. I mean, he tore the house down. There was a foundation built, and Tim Miles had built the foundation, and the foundation of the program is still there. But he tore everything down around it because he needs to build the house on the foundation to suit him. And everybody gets that, and everybody understands that it's going to take time. Nobody thought they're going to lose this to Southern Utah. Nobody thought they're going to lose to UC Riverside. You know the national. Media looks at it from a thirty thousand foot view and goes, "Oh my gosh!" Oh, oh, oh. Here, here's the here's the situation that I see. I would be much more concerned if I didn't see what Fred Hoiberg was trying to do with what is he's he's installing his system. He's installing his culture. You see his set. You see the stuff he's running. It's good stuff. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I mean, this is not somebody who's just rolling the ball out there and going, "I don't know, let's run around, and shoot some help." Bro. What do you think? I mean, he's, <laughs> they're they're running specific things. They're trying to do specific things. I like some of the stuff they run for to, to get guys open at the top of the key. They, it's very good, and I think their defense is going to be solid because Doc Sadler's going to be in charge of the defense, and that's what Doc does best: is coach defense, and he's a heck of a defensive coach. I am in the not in the least concerned from the standpoint of, oh my gosh, where's this program going? It's not going anywhere this year, and everybody knew that going in, and I got news for you, it wasn't going to go anywhere under Coach Miles this year either. There was a lot of turnover, regardless of who the head basketball coach was for Nebraska basketball. This season wasn't going to result in the first tournament win, no matter who was the head coach of this team, and I still don't believe it's going to be the case with Fred Hoiberg this year. I believe it'll be the case sometime in the near future, but I don't believe it'll be this year. So I'm not the least bit worried about anything I've seen from Nebraska in the first couple of games. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. Let's get into some football here. Uh, So real quick, I – you, the 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 videos kind of made the rounds. Frank Solich just became the all-time winningest coach in in MAC conference football history, 
And Kevin, I don't I don't necessarily want to go back and do the whole should have Nebraska fired Solich topic, but <laughs> at, at this point, Kev, like it's it's kind of it's undeniable that firing Frank Solich was the moment Nebraska football and this program went into the downward spiral, right? I mean, like I, imagine being a historian and studying the timeline of results of for Nebraska football. There would be a clear mark when things changed for the worse. You'd go, "What happened? What happened in 2003?" After two, like he would, there would they would be able to point to that and say that's when things kind of eroded a little bit, right? I have argued for a long time. You can debate whether or not Frank Solich should have been fired until the cows come home. I thought it was risky at best when they did it, but you can not debate the fact that Nebraska, had they gone on NCAA probation, would have not done any more damage to themselves than what they did with the firing of Frank Solich and the cataclysmic stupidity that followed in the bungled coaching search, the wandering around, the installing a brand new system. And again, it's hard to blame Bill Callahan for what he did because you brought in a guy who runs West Coast offense. So of course he's going to install what he knows. But the notion that somehow he should have run, you know, some variation of triple option, something along the line of a early spread is silly because you hired a guy who doesn't do that. Since then, it's just been sort of a lurch in this direction and a lunge in this direction and a grasp at this straw. I mean, it's, it's, you can argue whether or not Frank should have been fired. But at the end of the day, Nebraska, I believe, has had, let's see, four coaches, five coaches since then. And Frank Solich is still coaching in Division One college football yeah. and is on the verge of signing a contract extension to continue coaching in Division One college football. And even on a down year this year, and with that win this week, they're five and six on the season. They've got Akron to come. They're probably going to make a bowl game again. But with that win, he's probably going to end up with no worse record than what Nebraska's going to have this year. And it just continues. So are you or not whether Frank should have been fired? There are people who can make a case on either side. But Nebraska put themselves on this coaching carousel. And they've been on the carousel ever since. And now they're finally getting off the carousel almost two decades later. And it's high time they did it. And Frank just continues to plug along. I love Frank Solich. Yep. He's, he is a tremendous person. And is a wonderful, and it was always very good to me when he was here. And I have nothing but the best things to say or think about Frank. I'm delighted that he's been able to become really the the best coach that that school has ever seen. When you're the, I don't, I don't care where you are, Nick, and you know this. If you are the best that place has ever seen, you are a legend there. Yep. And, and I don't care where there is. That's cool. Not many of us get the chance to be that. Let's get into to this Nebraska team. Obviously, you had them this past weekend against Wisconsin. I believe it's the only other game mm-hmm. you've had at, at Illinois of Nebraska. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, I I'm, I I survive mostly on Illinois football, but I took a break <laughs> to do Wisconsin Nebraska. I'll be back with my line eye this weekend as they take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Good, I say mine in jest, Iowa fans. If you're listening to this. We just had a lot of their games. It was just a joke. I feel the need after being on Twitter earlier today to explain my joke. So, again, it's a joke. I have no bias in this broadcast. I just root for a good game, and I really hope both teams just have fun. Well, Kevin, 10 million people listen to this podcast each episode, so it's bound to be I know. Back to it's Iowa, been so spreading. It's I don't want, it's I don't want to boycott at the game. I'll go right. to have to boycott after the game. Yeah. Uh, okay, so as, as you've called a few of these this team's games and talked with coaches and then also seen – other teams in the Big Ten up close and personal would 
what do you believe has been the biggest thing that's kind of held this Nebraska team back this year? Well, I think there are a couple of things. And I do, and I know people kind of roll their eyes at this point when they hear Scott talking about culture and everything else. And you know this, Nick, having been on teams, it is very easy for one voice or two voices in a locker room to create problems yeah. for that locker room. And I still think there are some guys in there that Nebraska really hasn't been able and people say, well, I just cut them. Well, that's easier said than done because you need these guys. These are, there are, there are significant contributors that are continuing to not necessarily buy in, but it doesn't mean they can't contribute on the floor or on the field or whatever the sport is. And those voices can create some havoc and they can create some problems. And until they get that stuff out of the program, then there's going to be still that lingering sort of culture issue. And I, and I know people grumble about that, but I'm telling you, it's real, it's a thing, and it's going to continue to be a thing until they can finally sort most of that out. Another thing is attrition sorts most of that out. Graduation sorts a lot of that out. You're going to get those guys, for the most part, out of the program in the next year or so. The other issues, though, are beyond culture. Special teams issues have been a consistent Jeez. problem for Nebraska. And the, the one on the Wisconsin game with the Crookshank kickoff return for a touchdown was especially damaging because you sapped all the air and emotion out of that building. You could just feel all the balloons went up and the balloons were popped before they could even <laughs> get all the way clear of the stadium after that game because of that emotional letdown that came from the Aaron Crookshank kickoff return. And that's been a consistent problem all year, whether it's kicking concerns, whether it's kickoff coverage, whether it's punt coverage. I mean, there's just continual problems that have occurred on special teams. And then Nebraska in the red zone needs to be better. They've got to be better in the red zone. You cannot get into plus territory. You cannot get inside the 20-yard line and consistently be forced to kick field goals or worse, come up empty. Right. Nebraska, when they get into that area, they've got to figure out better ways to put points on the board. And those are issues that go beyond culture. Those are issues that are, whether it's talent, whether it's scheme, whether it's whatever, those are issues that continue to crop up and they're going to have some significant evaluations that have to be done at the end of what is, quite honestly, a lost season for Nebraska. They've got to win two games to get to a bowl. The only positive to that bowl is the 15 extra practices. You're not, I mean, look, is Detroit or New York City in, in December going to get people excited? Probably not. No. But it would at least give you 15 more practices with your young kids. And I think that's what Nebraska has to hope can happen over the next two games. You, you and you and Matt had to have been thinking what a lot of us were thinking watching that game. At halftime, you're, you're almost jaw-dropped at like, okay, it's 27 to 14, and it felt like Nebraska had played really well. You know, and that's just kind of the 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 – crux of the moment that Nebraska's in and it's interesting Frost said after the game you know and I'm paraphrasing he said you know we are this close but also miles away how do you kind of dissect that quote because I can kind of vibe with him to a certain extent because as for as many shortcomings as this team has as you kind of laid out with red zone and and culture and and special teams and all those things this team held double digit leads in four games this year they've lost three of those games like there is a scenario in which this team is sitting at like seven wins and you don't even have to necessarily change all that much. Like, how do you kind of dissect that whole situation? Yeah, and I, and I Scott said the same thing to us in our meetings with him on Friday last week was, you know, we're, we're really close, but we're miles away. And I, I think it's, I think it feels like it's miles away when you've only won four games sure. and then that's understandable. But 
you do look at that and you say, all right, you know, if you have a healthy kicker, you probably win one or two more games. If you can recruit a pass rusher or two sometime in the next couple of years, you're going to get better than zero pass rush right now. Another one of their problems is they cannot put any pressure on any quarterback. So that's been a concern. Uh, and you need those guys. Uh, to me, it's just a, to me, it's Scott saying, this is, I can see where I want it to go, but I can't get it there yet. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating to him. It's frustrating to a fan base. He sees glimpses, moments, like we did on Saturday against Wisconsin. There were glimpses. There were moments in there where you thought, oh, hey, look what they're doing. They're running the football. They're doing this. Where's this been? Where's that been? But the problem for Nebraska has been consistently being able to string those moments together. It'll, there will be more of those moments, and I think that's what he's talking about, as these young kids grow up in the program, as Garrett Nelson continues to blossom, as these guys continue to find their footing and they get more guys in who are on board with what they're doing and can do what they need them to do. I think all of that adds up to being, you know, being right there in the next couple of years, but it's certainly taken longer than Scott indicated when he got here or than anybody hoped it would if they were rooting for the Scarlet and Cream because this is not this is a season that nobody was really expecting. I think the expectations were way too high. Yeah. But somewhere in the middle is where it should have been. And I think they've underperformed even that middle of where it should have been. You know, this kind of is what it is, but I've just, I've been a little exhausted by the blame game after each game of pitting the offense versus the defense for Nebraska. And then within that blame game, like 99% of the time people want to blame the defense. It kind of gets exhausting. I'm certainly not saying the defense is good. Obviously they aren't, but you know what? The offense is I think we'd all agree is furthest off everyone's expectation level. How have you been like? How have you kind of absorbed all that? Because it's just it's it's gotten to be a little bit annoying to me every week. Yeah, you you get to the point where you're tired of hearing the excuses. To where you say, I, I don't really care why it's not getting done, but it's your job to get it done with what you have. So others get it done with what they have in different situations. You need to get it done with what you have, and that's, I'm sure, a continued frustration for people. And, and yeah, I, there is no, I, I don't think it's wrong for a coach to say, you know, this side of the ball is still a little further behind than where we'd like it to be. But I don't think that the defense is the only problem for Nebraska football. There are problems that stem yes. from the defense. Don't get me wrong. There, it needs to be better. I'm still not convinced you can consistently play that front the way you want to play it in this league over and over again. And I know people will say, well, Wisconsin can do it. Well, you, you don't have what Wisconsin has right now. <laughs> so you've got to try to figure out a different way to do it. Um, but look, there are offensive problems too. We talked about the red zone. I mean, this is, if you can't score points when you're in close, and if you're trying to kick field goals with a shaky kicking situation, when you can't score touchdowns, you're coming out with no points some of those times. That's bad. You've got to be better in the red zone. Nebraska, when they get Darian Daniels to intercept the pass and the big man rumbles to the two-yard line and you can't punch it in from there, that's a problem. Yeah, That's a significant offensive problem. The defense did its job other than going the final two yards with the interception. I realized this two weeks ago at the Purdue game, but that's, a, that's an offensive issue. That's not a defensive issue. Defense did their job. Offense didn't, and you can find multiple examples of that in the Purdue game. If you're looking for a game Nebraska could have and should have won, 
that's one of those games where yeah. if the offense does its job, they're going to win that game, and they need to beat Maryland this weekend to go to a bowl, and that's it. But clearly that isn't the case. Hey, Kevin, how do you see the quarterback situation right now with Martinez and, and everything moving forward even into next year? Um, it's just pretty amazing where you had a guy that was a Heisman contender and there's been some pockets of people that have wanted to see him sat down this season. Uh, he's shown flashes. I actually thought he ran the ball with more conviction and just was more decisive the other day against Wisconsin. How do you, how do you see that whole deal? I, I agree with your assessment of Adrian against Wisconsin. I thought it was maybe the most decisive game he's had since the Illinois game in mid-September. Uh, I thought he looked like he was more willing to run. I think the knee has bothered him more than he's let on and has been hesitant to perhaps go as often as he did with the abandon that he did as a freshman. Um, and, and here's my opinion. I don't know if you, you asked about the quarterback situation as a whole. Yeah. Uh, my opinion, they're going to have an open quarterback competition in the spring. Okay. I don't think anybody's job can be guaranteed after two possible four and eight seasons, maybe five and seven this year. I don't know how you can say, oh, no, this is our guy, come hell or high water. I, maybe he ends up being that guy. Maybe he recaptures a lot of the magic of his freshman year, and then he's your starting quarterback, and that's great. But I think if you're Scott Frost, and I'm sure he's going to reach out for my advice any day now, <laughs> but if you're Scott Frost, I think you have to have an open quarterback competition in the spring because you have to see exactly what you have at this position. You cannot just say, no, it's never going to happen. You're the guy for two more years, regardless of what else is happening around him. I, I, think, you'll, and I think you'll see that in the spring. I have no inside knowledge on right. this. Maybe they'll surprise me and say, nope, that's not it. But I think if you're looking at this objectively, you have to have an open quarterback competition and say, man, the best man win. You know, and I remember talking about this early in the year. I think there and there's a lot with Frost in that when he looks at Adrian Martinez, I think he sees a little bit of himself where you mm -hmm. have a, a very – heavily criticized Nebraska quarterback, all those things. And I think he remembers what it was like. And, you know, he'll even interject his own experiences when talking about Martinez. Um, what when so I'm I'm trying to remember the exact years you were at the university as a student. Do what do you I guess what do you remember about ninety six when Frost uh you know, they had the Arizona State loss. They go 11 and 2. People were, I remember people criticizing him. And then in 97, he got sat down for a series for Frankie London. Then he got brought back in the game and got booed a little bit. And, you know, they say, like, what do you, what do you remember that about that? Because I think th th it's clear that that's like a part of Frost's makeup and how he's kind of assessing all this stuff. It's hard not to be scarred by experiences of the past. And there's no doubt that Scott still feels the sting of that. I mean, it's always been an interesting relationship with Scott and Nebraska. You know, mm -hmm. everybody, there were people grumbling about him when he left in the first place. Then he comes back, people are grumbling about him because he happens to be the guy who takes over for the greatest quarterback Nebraska's had in Tommy Frazier. So you're taking over for Tommy Frazier, who's just led the team to back-to-back -back national championships, albeit one year he was on the bench for most of that, and Brooke Beringer took him through most of the season. But you come back, you're the guy who has to take over for that era. And look, that 96 team was talented, and he almost got him there despite the early loss. And that early loss at Arizona State was not all on him in 96. There were a lot of factors that went into that. It was partly on him, but there were a lot of things going on in that game. 
And they still got them to the to the chance, the championship game, and then the Texas loss, of course, sealed the fate. They ended up going to the Orange Bowl, where Damon Benning, if you hadn't heard, was the MVP <laughs> heard. of that 1996 Orange Bowl. That's That was kind of a big deal. So 97 comes, people are grumbling, they don't trust Scott, they're not sure what he can do, they're coming off a season where all of a sudden Nebraska feels like they're supposed to be in contention every year for a national title. They weren't the year before. What do we do? What do we do? The Central Florida game, the booing, the champing with Frankie London, all this other stuff. And then the Washington game kind of turns him around. So I, there's no doubt that Scott still feels that thing to a certain degree. And, you know, like a lot of successful people, you're driven by as much by your failures or your slights as you are by your successes or your, or your admiration and your embrace. And so I'm sure that drives him a little bit, but I'm also sure it lends him to be a little more protective of the starting quarterback in this state. And it's not easy. No. I promise you, if next year McCaffrey all of a sudden is your starting quarterback, people are going to hate McCaffrey at some point when they lose their first game. That guy didn't do this. That guy didn't do that. And they'll get on Twitter and they'll tweet mean things at him. And they'll tweet mean things about him. And they'll call radio shows. And they'll talk to people and say, I don't want to ever bench Martinez. That guy was great. I, it, it's, there's never anybody happy with anything. And that's the thing that you have to be careful of. If you're the head coach... You have to make the decision on what's best for your team while protecting your player. That's not an easy tightrope to walk, and that's what Scott has to try to figure out how to walk in the upcoming months when he evaluates that position as he will evaluate every position on the offense. You know, I go back and forth with, like, I, I do think maybe one of the things that Frost has learned here in the the year and a half, almost two years on the job, is like you got to be careful with what you say. I mean, in this market and in this world, we we will – kind of pick apart everything he says and you know he 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 really kind of propped this team up and they haven't lived up to it and that could then those words gets used against you and then even same thing with Martinez you prop him up and then when it doesn't work out people go well what the heck but at the same time like I go back and forth in my head of like well, what is he supposed to say you know you're supposed to not talk teams up or you're supposed to not talk your player up I I I I guess I don't know what my my question really is. I just I I've even gone back and forth in that. I'm like, you know, Frost needs to just, you know, say a little bit less. But then I'm like, well, what is he supposed to say? I I, I struggle with that even for for me. And I'm not even the guy that has to stand at the podium and answer these questions. You are you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So you have to do the best you can. And we also have to remember, as media covering this and as fans watching this, this is still a young coach learning his way in an environment that's difficult to learn your way in. I mean, it, he had a couple of years at Central Florida. The scrutiny and everything else was not the same as the prodigal son returning home to save a once powerful program. That is, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and, and he took it on and he's getting paid handsomely to do it. And I'm not saying, oh, whoa, is Scott Frost in any way, shape, or form. But there is a learning curve going on here on all of this, whether it's speaking to the media, whether it's handling yourself as a coach, it's hard not to come into this thing thinking, look what I did to Central Florida. I'm going to do it here because I got way more resources without really knowing how bad the situation had gotten here over not just the Riley era, but on and off throughout the last 20 years of lunging and lurching around trying to find something in a dark room. This is, there's a lot going into this. And I think as it continues to go on and, the university made, I thought, a shrewd move in saying, here's two more years. We're basically putting you back to year zero again. And we're starting this thing. We're not starting over because we've got two years of culture building in here. But we're sending a message to people saying, 
You can rumble all you want. We don't care anymore. Right. We're done with the carousel. We're done with the laundering. We're done at Nebraska with that. It's over. Quit your grumbling. Grumble all you want. We're not paying attention to it. We don't care anymore. And I think that's 100% the right statement to make. You can argue that it should have been done maybe after the game. Sure. But the timing of the release. But I don't argue the timing of the move. That whole week was message week. Sending, giving black shirts out to guys who probably in years future won't necessarily receive black shirts at that point in their careers. Uh, all of this has been message week for Nebraska. And the message is we're building a culture and we're staying the course with that culture. So everybody just relax and try to enjoy the ride. So that leads me to uh, my last question for you, and I'll let you get back to, to driving on the, the beautiful uh, interstates of, of yes, Chicago. It's wonderful. Because um, I, I agree with everything you just said. The I do think these final two games could shape some things in 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 a variety of ways. I mean, I think if Nebraska wins these final two games, Kevin, and goes to a bowl game and wins the bowl game, I actually think people around here will be feeling okay. I mean, you know how the roller coaster can work, but if they lose these final two games and they go back to back four and eight seasons, that there's already been a clamoring for people wanting to see changes, not for Frost, obviously, but people have talked about got to make some changes in the staff or whatever. And I understand the public pressure of, man, it's a hard sell to go four and eight, two straight years and say, you know what, we're pre keeping everything together. We're going to run it back. But I think that's what this program needs. Like, I think the last thing this program needs is more changes, even within the staff. How do you see all of that? Because I do think, as much as this feels like it's a lost season, there are things that are going to be interesting here in this final next three, four weeks that shape quite a bit. This is. This is a scenario that is dangerous again. And, and look, if you have staff that leaves on their own fruition yeah. because they get a better job or a different job and they want something to do for themselves or their family, great. You fill those spots as Nebraska did last year. But Nebraska's tried the constant staff change. Nebraska's tried, let's get a new DB coach. Let's get a new D-line coach. Let's get a new coordinator. Let's do this. Let's do that. I, I think you have to try something else because those ways have not worked right now. Mm -hmm. That said, if you evaluate this thing as a coach and you say, we got to do something with this. Maybe you don't like the way, you know, I'm just going to throw a position out there. Maybe you don't like the way your offensive line is walking, so you start looking at Greg Austin. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's say you do. I don't think it's unfair for Scott to say, we need to do something different here, and by my evaluations, this is the problem, this is what needs to change. I, I don't think, again, I, don't, I just picked that position. Sure, I know I what you're saying. I could have been yeah. any position. Yep. I, I don't have a problem with him evaluating and saying, yeah, we're going to make a change here. Uh, I also don't think that massive sea change is what this program needs at this point. You've got to just figure out a way to find some consistency in Lincoln because it, the, the, the way that you've done it in the past simply doesn't work. You have, and you have to hope that, look, if it becomes a situation where Scott looks at this and says, my defensive coordinator, for example, isn't getting the job done. You have to hope that he's going to say, you know, as much as I love you, Eric, I yeah. got to make a change here if that's what needs to happen. I don't think it needs to happen right now. I think you're fine right now with getting the culture built, getting players in positions where they need to play. And then I think, look, if you don't beat Maryland on the weekend, then you have some other decisions to make as far as personnel goes with this program that'll be in the short term. I think you have to make a decision first and foremost about 
Barrett Pickering. Do you kick him in the Iowa game if you don't need, if you don't win the Maryland game? Mm. Because he's at four games then. I think these are questions you're going to have to answer. Would you give up a year of eligibility for Barrett Pickering to kick in the Iowa game if you don't need to have Barrett Pickering kick because you can't go anywhere with a win? Right. I, that's a, I think those are the short-term questions. The longer-term questions have to come with that style. So I hope uh, I told everybody that I thought my sleeper in the Big Ten was Illinois, and that's uh, the basketball team you are going to be going to see. You're going to have to give me a report. I watched them the other night. Uh, gosh, were they against Hawaii? I think was who they played the other night. Uh, you know, man, yep. that team's talented, yep, Kev. I, I team's got some dudes on it, man. They do. They've got some dudes. I really like Brad Underwood. So uh, I like his style, and I and I think the kids really like him as well. You had Coburn in with Io Dosumu and Bishanishvili, and 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 that's been the one. That's the one area I want to get into on our broadcast is. Having a second big yeah. to play with a big, it's kind of Bishanish Bealy's kind of taking a step back early as far as his production goes from where it was at the end. Stick Smith and Bruno Fernando played together at Maryland for the first time. It's sometimes difficult for a big to become accustomed to playing with because they just don't do it very often. There's a lot of guys who are big next to big, especially in today's game. Right. So I'm, I'm, that's one area that I'm anxious to see with Illinois. But they got some dudes. There's some there's some players down there. From from Mexico City to Champaign, Illinois to the Nick Bob podcast, he is he is everywhere, and we love him. Kevin, I respect your time. You uh, you have yourself a, a great call, and uh, we'll catch up soon, my man. Okay. I hope so. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you having me on the Nick Bob podcast. Thank you, Kevin. Production.